Ladies and gentlemen, I'm very excited today to speak with a legendary person in the fencing community. Um, Mr. Donald Anthony Jr. is the head fencing coach at Ohio State. Donald, how are you doing today? I'm fine. It's uh, the Ohio State University. You got to make sure that branding's correct. correct. <laughs> it's an honor and a pleasure to be here with you, Brian. Really I appreciate it. I appreciate your time and I appreciate the correction, the Ohio State University. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you. There are a lot of things that you've had your hand in um, in the fencing world here in the U.S. And, uh, you know, we'll get into that in a little bit. But just I want to start with your background. How did you get exposed to the sport? Um, what made you interested? We can take it from there. All right. Well, you know, my background, uh, I started off as a child, as Bill Cosby would say. Uh, I was uh, young, seven or eight years old, living in Cleveland, Ohio. And, um, you know, watching Zorro as a kid, T told my mom, hey, I want to learn how to do that. My mother, being the resourceful librarian that she was, realized that sword fighting and fencing and started at an inner city cultural center called Caramel House, where they taught acting and art and dance and all of the art forms, including fencing. And um, my first coach was an African-American man, truly a Renaissance guy. I mean, race cars, taught water sports, archery and fencing. And um, fenced until I was 11 or 12, my cousin and I started. He was way better than I was until I was about 11. Uh, finally uh, won a state title and then my career started, stopped when I moved from Cleveland to Cincinnati. And during that period, I played all the other sports, you know, the traditional basketball, football, ran track, spent a little time uh, on a gymnastics team, which was probably the best thing I ever did as far as training my body. That was when I grew six inches and lost all of my coordination. And, um, you know, even did a little tennis. But when I got ready to go to college, I knew I wanted to fence. So I narrowed it down, uh, ended up going to Princeton, fenced there for four years. Uh, when I arrived though, I had been a foil fencer and my freshman year, my freshman class, I had a all uh, city uh, New York champion and uh, you know, a national all, you know, uh, all American. So it was sort of like, eh, I think it might be good to change weapons. So that's when I switched to Saber. Best thing I ever did, fits my personality, had a great career. Thought I was really done. Um, when I graduated, I sprained my uh, ankle in the uh, Easterns, the IFAs, and uh, was working in Manhattan on 42nd Street, uh, 42nd and 3rd. Peter Westbrook worked at 42nd and 5th. We were out for lunch. Pete was like, yo, man, you know, you need to come back because it's lonely in here with just me. So um, started again, since for 16 years on the US team, uh, made a couple of world championship teams. Uh, Peter and I became, you know, very, very good friends when we were getting ready to get toward the end of our uh, competitive career. A guy named T. Shepard uh, came to us and said, I got a great idea for you. You guys should start a foundation. And then um, Pete and I were sort of like, you know, so let me understand this. Why do we want to spend our Saturday mornings with a bunch of screaming kids? Well, we quickly got understood what the benefit was. Uh, First, um, you know, part of that, we started off, uh, had six kids the first day, said, no, nah, this isn't going to work, and 100 kids the second time. So that was sort of my com uh, competitive career, and then got drafted into, you know, the board of USA Fencing as the secretary, and said I hated that, did not want to do that at all, and then eight years later, 
got drafted again and uh, spent eight years as uh, president of USA Fencing, as well as um, being on the executive committee of the International Fencing Federation, and now serve in that role as a vice president. Wow. Okay. So that was that was a whirlwind. You just took us through a lot of different steps. Um, I want to touch on a few things. First of all, I, I'm a product of the Peter Westbrook Foundation, so I'm grateful for your <laughs> your willingness to heed that advice from Trevor <laughs> back in the day. Um, and it's it's an incredible you know an incredible establishment in New York. But um, I want to talk a little bit about were there any you know memorable, especially memorable moments in your competitive career from world championships or even your college days, anything um, monumental that stands out to you that you're super proud of? You know, I would say uh, the, the thing that was probably most important uh, in my career was uh, in the my senior year, we won the Eastern Championship and we finished fourth at the NCAAs. Um, that was, uh, you know, a big step for the program and you know, for me personally, and and I would just say, that, you know, the bonds that I formed with uh, the the three other seniors uh, that year in my freshman. I mean, we're still fast friends, and those relationships, you know, and that's what I try to create in my new role, an environment where those relationships can last you a lifetime. I would say uh, on the uh, U.S. circuit, you know, the the biggest and the first accomplishment was in the '90s when. Uh, I was still, I had gone to graduate school uh, in Philadelphia, was doing my MBA at the Wharton School and was fencing for Sal Cesar. And uh, we ended up winning the national uh, championships. And that was the first time a team other than the New York Athletic Club or the Fencers Club had won in, I don't know, 20, 30 years. So, uh, and at that point I was sort of at the end of my career and it was just really nice to see these young guys stepping up and being able to mentor and nurture them into you know, that accomplishment. You know, on the individual side, I'll say that, you know, probably uh, one of my most memorable was, you know, a World Cup where, you know, was fencing some of the, the top Germans and, you know, finally broke into that 64, got to that next day. Um, you know, and, and that was a time when, you know, outside of Peter, uh, occasionally Steve, you know, we just were not getting those kind of results. Now it's like everyday thing, and that's what the U.S. is expected to do. But at that point in time, you know, it was a major accomplishment, um, and for me personally, it was just you know highly significant. And then as a veteran, you know, finishing second in the world, uh, you know, at the Veteran World Championship in Croatia was, you know, my my as they say, you know, the the second act of my you know competitive career. So. Those would probably be, you know, from a individual competition standpoint. And then, you know, now as a, you know, as a head coach, um, you know, I would say uh, my second season uh, was, you know, probably the most significant. We, you know, swept the, uh, at that time, the Midwest Fencing Conference. And I, you know, qualified 12 athletes, uh, had an amazing team of seniors and was really looking forward to seeing them compete their last time because I really was looking for some individual championships out of, you know, titles as well as a national title, you know, should we be so fortunate and everybody perform. And the year before we had Oliver Schindler my first year when um, the, the individual NCAA champion, you know, so those are some as far as where we are right now, I would say those are, you know, significant winning the um, mid the uh, new uh, Central Collegiate Fencing Conference uh, last year on the men's side, tying on the women's. And then, you know, my peers honoring me with being the men's coach of the year. 
um, that was that that was a when you when you're recognized by your peers, it just means so much. So those are I say the biggest competitive accomplishments. All right, all right, that's amazing. And I'm sure there's some footage somewhere we can find of uh, of your competition. Maybe maybe the senior circuit. Is there something out there we can look up? <laughs> there might be. I'm not sure. I don't like to look at myself fence most of the time. You know, it's sort of like, okay, yep, been there, done that. Let me go next. You know, but uh, I'm sure there's probably something out there. Right. Well, let me let me ask you about this. So you mentioned kind of getting drafted into um, initially a secretary position with the USFA and now being as you know the president there um, before moving into the coaching world. Can you talk a little bit about, um, I guess, that transition, what attracted you to the coaching position coming from more, I guess, more of the corporate side on the, on the fencing side? So, you know, the, uh, I, I will say that it probably started with uh, being secretary um, and part of the, you know, the executive committee of the board. That was because Stacey Johnson uh, was president, first woman president of uh, USA Fencing. And my sort of my godfather in the sport, Chapa Pollagy, is who said, look, you need to, you know, help Stacy, you need to support her. So you need to run for secretary so you can do that. Um, which for me, Stacy was an amazing president. I learned a lot and uh, it was just a, a very different kind of role. Um, and, you know, and Chapa was actually also the person when I moved to Columbus uh, for a corporate move. Uh, Charlotte Remnant was the head coach at Ohio State at the time, and he said, look, we need to go help Charlotte with her Sabre team. And that's sort of how I got involved with the Ohio State fencing program. Uh, subsequently, they asked me to come in when she retired to help them find their new coach. Uh, I'm a very great honor served uh, was on a search committee with Archie Griffin, the only two-time Heisman Trophy winner was chairing. And uh, we looked at you know, some number, number of candidates. And when it came down to it, he asked me who my choice would be. And I told him it would be Vladimir Nazlimov, who's one of the best fencers and best coaches, you know, in the world. And had a chance to work with the program, you know, and, and just supporting its growth, its development. Um, and that's sort of what led to me being in this position. When they, when Vladimir retired, they asked me to come back and help them find, you know, their next coach. Uh, which I did. I was working with the sport AD, Carrie uh, uh, Hoyt, um, who is now my boss. Um, and she was like, hey, Gene's in the office. Uh, he's our athletic director, Gene Smith, as I call him, the dean of athletic directors in the NCAA, um, came in. And we've been friends since he first arrived. He's from Cleveland. My family uh, has a connection. So took him out for lunch and built that relationship, came in to say hi. And he was like, well, um, why don't you? look at the position, you know, why don't you take the job? And I was like, um, look, I'm president of USA Fencing, I'm vice president of the National Federation. And, um, you know, I'm not sure, you know, and my coaching experience is really with the foundation and running programs for kids and foundation, you know, and running stuff at the Arnold. Um, Carrie was like, I think you can do it all. So um, needless to say, um, after me thinking that it wasn't my wife and, you know, the CEO of uh, USA Fencing at the time and Greg Masialis were all like, no, no, this is a good thing. So that's how I ended up going from corporate consulting um, to here and just sort of this is where I am today and, and very happy. And really what I found out was that the skill set that I developed from my corporate practice of consulting was leadership development, 
building high performance teams um, and organizational effectiveness. And all of those have been very transferable into this role. That's amazing. Yeah, it, it definitely sounds like you're doing a lot and you can, you can do it all, you can manage it all um, because everything is running very smoothly. So um, oh, that's, you. yeah, kudos to you. Um, At least on the outside, you see that. As long as it keeps, you know, don't let them see how the sausage is made. It's okay. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> Well, I guess, could you speak to that? Like, how do you find balance between such, you know, such responsibilities? Uh, you know, the first task that I had was building, you know, a coaching staff. Um, and really, I have this amazing coaching staff. I have a, 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 the, the support of the athletic department, uh, bar none, you know, the best, you know, in the country, uh, the world, as far as, you know, collegiate sports goes. And, you know, with that staff, I'm able to, you know, do the things that I needed to do during that period of time. Um, and, you know, and then I think the other thing is, you know, having worked in the world of corporate, I mean, you just have to be very organized. I mean, you know, part of one of the things I've done in an early life was, you know, project management. And this is just sort of the kind of thing where if you have a good staff and you move and you get layout clearly what your vision is, what the expectations are, you hire great people, you put them in the positions where they can be successful, and then you get out of their way. So that's really my management philosophy. Um, and then, you know, it's always interesting when the stuff starts, you know, either it's funny, either in USA fencing or within, it's like, uh, Don, this is one you need to take care of. So that that's when that, that's when I have to work and, you know, they're good enough that those aren't, that, that's not a constant need. So, um, you know, I think the, the key is having great people and a great organization to work with. Yeah, yeah. And to that point, so can you talk about how, how you build that culture, you know, whether it's based on your executive experience or your experience as a coach, you know, your team, I'm sure has a cult, you have a culture that you're trying to create on your team that you've been working on for the past couple of years. So can you speak to um, what that is in your mind and how you, what you do to put that in place or make that effective? You know, I, I, I share with uh, my team, my clients and anyone I speak with, you know, um, I believe that the key to a successful organization starts with your leadership. And the key to being an effective leader is having a vision that you can communicate that others can embrace uh, and also contribute to. And once you have that shared vision, then it's a matter of putting together a strategic plan and executing against how do you get there. And that's, that's the process that we've used, you know, at the, in, that I've used in this position that, you know, my coaching staff and the team that, you know, I'm so fortunate to have to work with. Um, and then within that, as far as culture, uh, open and honest communication, transparency, um, making sure that there's a sense of, uh, you know, that there's a sense of fairness, uh, there's an understanding of, you know, what the criteria is for success. And, uh, you know, and then it comes down to, you know, how do you select those who get to represent, you know, the organization. And, you know, I, I was just re recently uh, working with them in a, on a panel, and one of the clients, you know, it's, uh, it's fair, square, and legal. So that's sort of, you know, the same philosophy, you know, they want, if people know that everything is fair, they know that it's a, what they call a square deal where 
you know, this is a mutually beneficial and win-win is what we say in certain sectors. And then, you know, keeping it within whatever that the, the, the NCAA rules is from the standpoint of compliance. And, you know, I think as long as we do that, that we're clear as far as what we can do, what we can't do, and then just be as supportive as possible from the standpoint of understanding that these are young people. Uh, you know, some of, I, I've had a few of them come in at 17. They, they're, they're as uh, my uh, athlete said, they're puppies, you know. So really helping them go from that very young age to mature, supporting them, creating an environment that's nurturing, and also, which is very structured so that they learn how to operate so that, you know, one of the philosophies at, um, for our athletic department is we don't want you to just graduate. We want you to be prepared for your career, whether that's a, uh, a graduate school, whether that's a corporate position, whether you're going pro or Olympics or, you know, what, whatever that is, we want you to be prepared for that. And have created an opportunity where you can take that next step. So that's, that's what we do. And that's the culture we're building. And that's, um, you know, and then the other part of that is when I'm looking for people for our team, we look for those who want to be part of that kind of community and that kind of family. Um, you know, if an athlete says, I'm just here for me, then you're probably not a good fit because that's not what we're really looking to build. Uh, I will just say this year we have the most amazing freshman class. I mean, it's a huge class, but the fact that these young people, they support each other, they care about each other, and they have bonded with the team that was already there. And it's just been like almost a seamless integration. And that's what you strive for, um, as well as just being superstar athletes. Right. Right. That was actually going to be my next question. Obviously, you know, Ohio State is a very competitive program. So you're looking for those top athletes that can produce results. But beyond that, I was curious to know, you know, what qualities you look for in your incoming recruits. So, so that's that's what you just basically said, you know, team team players, people who are willing to buy into the system and buy into the philosophy, the culture that you're building. Um, so that's great to know. And, you know, we look for people who are just really decent, caring human beings, as well as great athletes. Um, and then, you know, and, and not everybody comes in, you know, as a superstar and not everybody's going to be a superstar, but we look for people who are willing to put in the work to get to be the best that they possibly can be. And if you're willing to do that, I mean, we have a young lady on our team. She was a walk-on last year. We were really down on our numbers for women's foil. So she was a competitive swimmer. Uh, one of our, you know, uh, her, one of her classmates uh, said, hey, she's interested. So she has not even been sensing a year. She sensed competitively. I think her record's four and two. And, um, you know, as I constantly remind her when she's sensing against people who've been sensing eight or nine years, you know, hey, look, we're, next, next week we're, we're sort of joking. We're bringing in a cake to celebrate her one-year anniversary <laughs> as a fencer. Uh, but, you know, I mean, the fortunate thing is she's got Elvis Gregory, one of the greatest of centers, you know, I mean, and, and an amazing coach to work with. And the level that she competes at this, at this time, because of her work ethic, because of her passion for the sport, 
when we were doing our introductions this year, it was sort of funny. Everybody had gone, I've been fencing six years, I've been on world teams, I've accomplished this. She said, well, I'm a little different. I haven't been fencing a year yet. And they, one of the questions is, why do you fence? She said, because I think it's a dope sport. So, I mean, that, those are the kinds of young people that we're looking for. We want those superstar elites. You know, we have a young man, you know, uh, our recruit in men's FA where, you know, he's number six junior in the world last season or the last, well, pre-COVID. So, and then we have these babies and they all mesh. And that's really what we're trying to get, you know, build that group so that everybody has a place, everybody's cared for, and everybody knows that they're, they, they want to be there and they know we want them to be there. Yeah, that's amazing. And it's, it's clear that you're, you're building a winning culture because we can see the fruit from it. We can see the results. So, you know, congratulations on all the success up to this point, And we're looking forward to seeing more. We've got a lot further to go. We've got a long way to go. <laughs> yes, sir. I want to zoom out just a little bit and ask you about some of your work outside of coaching. Um, I know you, your, you know, your, your project Sword Sport um, is a big endeavor. I wanted to learn more about that from your perspective, you know, kind of where, where you're looking to go with that, what's going on currently. Well, currently, I will say these last three years has been somewhat of a hiatus. Uh, just because of the demands of everything else I was doing, there just really wasn't a lot of bandwidth for that. Uh, but going forward, you know, the, the premise of Sword Sport was really taking fencing and making it a, uh, a sports property, a marketable sports property, and really taking it from uh, what I would say our sport has typically been doing fencing for fencers and doing it for a wider audience and creating the same kinds of uh, content and collateral around fencing that you see with other sports. And I will say that since I started, you know, that company in 2021 years later, uh, the sport has come a long way. Um, I mean, if you just look at the, uh, the property that the International Federation has created around the Grand Prix events, that is the, the production at the highest level and one of the things that, so I had this concept when we were in a national championship in some high school gym in New Jersey, uh, Peter Westbrook and a bunch of Olympians were competing. And I'm like, mm, there's something missing here. No audience, no coverage, and you know, nobody who even cares. And now we at least have gone from good venues, good presentation, um, the production value is there. Now it's, my goal now is to figure out what SwordSport 2.0 looks like. We have so many things going on. How do we take it to the next level? How do we work with the International Federation? How do we work with the great university programs like OSU and Northwestern and Notre Dame that have, you know, Columbia? All of them have really good social media right now. How do we take what the content they're creating? How do we put it together so that we continue to build these kinds of sports properties and ultimately create an opportunity where our top athletes are able to generate an income, you know, post-collegiate competition. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I couldn't agree more. I think there's so much potential for um, where fencing can, <clears throat> excuse me, where fencing can go as a sport, um, you know, in terms of media that's available, the properties that are available around it. Um, how the athletes can be marketed, things like that. So I'm really excited to see kind of what the future holds 
Um, are there any ideas or things that you see for, forthcoming in the future that you, you know, would want to share at this point where you'd like you know, to see this work go? I don't have any um, particular ideas that I want to share. You know, some of that, some, some of my partners might consider it proprietary, sure. uh, intellectual property. But I think the, the general uh, idea from my standpoint is um, we have a amazing sport. Um, you know, I was, I was in a, a meeting with uh, our athletic director recently and, you know, on Ohio State's campus, the Ohio State fencing team is one of the most diverse teams on of all sports teams. And, you know, that's also what our sport now looks like. There was a time as when, you know, Peter was saying, hey, it's lonely because there's really nobody else that looks like me doing this at this level at this point in time in my weapon. We had good representation in uh, foil, but in Sabre, it had been sort of a, you know, a little bit of a desert. But now, if you look across the scope of both domestically with the National USA Fencing Tournament, and then if you look at internationally, when you look at, a, look at an Olympic game, the representation of how many people and how diverse our sport is, this is the, this is the message. And then I think the other thing is, you know, one, how do we get more visibility in mainstream media? How do we do a better uh, job of covering our sport in the channels that we do have available? And, you know, I mean, there's, without a focused campaign, there's only so much content that can be created and without the campaign and then also the, the capital support to make that happen. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Well, again, I'm excited to see what the future holds as far as that goes. And also for you specifically, you know, with the team, um, much, much success to you this season. When does the season officially kick off for you? Uh, we have our first uh, competition tomorrow. Okay. Uh, we have uh, individuals. It's a open competition, actually, for um, the um, OSU individual. But then our first dual meet is on Sunday, our first dual meet. So... We're looking forward to it, and um, you know, it's uh, it's a great opportunity for our many of our freshmen. Most of our freshmen have never, some of them have never even seen what a collegiate dual meet competition looks like, let alone competed in one. So uh, this is a good opportunity to introduce them to a world that they're going to be in for the next four. And it's sort of interesting with the COVID X, you know, extra year. Some of our many of our athletes are getting you know the five year plan so yeah yeah quite an interesting year last year I, I actually i didn't ask about that but how how was it navigating that with your team and with your staff uh it was uh <laughs> challenging to say the least um you know we weren't even back on campus until this time uh last year in october we came back around the third or the fourth um and you know, it was, I would say that the, it was sort of a double-edged sword. We were like, yes, we get back into the gym. And then it was like, okay, how are we going to make this work with the COVID protocols, with the amount of the size of our team, being able to bring it, bring it in. So, you know, we ended up having a really trained by weapon group because we couldn't get, have everybody in. So we had to stagger. We had to set up socially distant seating. There were no locker rooms available. It, it was uh, interesting. And then I just want to, um, you know, really acknowledge the, uh, my, my fellow coaches, um, because 
they really, they looked and said, okay, how are we going to have a season? What can we do to make this happen? And uh, I had uh, Zach Moss reach out to us. I had, uh, you know, Gia. Um, I had Wes Grant at Penn State. I mean, all of these coaches like, okay, can you host a competition? Can you host a competition because you are the most centrally located and all of us can get there with the COVID protocols of no flying, so everybody had to bus. Um, and we were able to do that in February. And you know, it, it, it was a successful from the standpoint of one, demonstrating that we could host a safe competition in the midst of COVID. There were no cases after our competition. And it showed that we could continue to do this so that we were able to have you know, a uh, NCAA championship. And that was really critical, uh, similar to what I would say as far as the Olympics, the athletes really need to be able to compete. We, you know, we missed that NCAAs a year before, and we, we needed to make sure that that was possible. So it was challenging. Um, you know, we had some people who did not come back. Uh, they weren't on campus. We missed the Ivies. They weren't competing. Um, but it was, it was something that we were able to navigate and we were able to get it done. And I think that we're very happy that this season is starting off in a little different environment. Yes, yes, there's a lot of excitement coming into this season. So I'm um, again, wishing you the best personally, wishing the team much success this year. Um, we'll definitely stay, stay tuned and stay in touch to, to see what's going on as the season progresses. Um, but again, just thank you, you know, Donald, for your service and for your contributions to the sport. Um, and looking forward to seeing what comes in the future, like you said, with Source Sport 2.0 and beyond. So, again, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Well, my pleasure. It's an honor. It's a pleasure. And thank you for what you're doing and your initiative. I mean, what you're doing is part of, you know, how do we get the messaging out? How do we get the visibility? More perspectives on what's going on in this sport and, you know, and, and, and highlighting the great activities that are happening at the collegiate level. So keep up the great work. And it's been an honor and a pleasure to be part of uh, the D1 fencing interview. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. We'll talk soon. All right. Looking forward to it. All right.